This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. This week we are talking about sports and TV and the internet and betting, legal sports betting, which has been in the U.S. for a couple years now, three years actually, and is spreading state by state. It just got to New York, which was sort of the prompt for this conversation. Because if you live in New York, if you watch TV in New York, if you turned on the internet in New York in the last couple of weeks, you've seen a million different um, offers to spend your money, to get your money into legal sports books so you can burn it betting on football and everything else. So today we've got two folks to sort of explain what is going on and where this might all go. Patrick Keene runs Action Network. It's not an, actually a sports betting company, but it's adjacent to it. He'll explain that. It was sold for $240 million to a Dutch uh, conglomerate, I think, last year. He'll explain that as well. Uh, and also Richard Johnson used to cover sports at Vox Media at SB Nation. Now he's at Sports Illustrated. Wanted to talk to him about, it's, about what it's like to cover sports in a legalized uh, betting era. What's like to watch this stuff, um, if that's changing, how it's changing. Um, this is a timely conversation. It's a good one. You're going to like it first. Here's me and Patrick Keene. I am here with Patrick Keene. He is the CEO of Action Network. He's going to explain what that is in a second. But he's here to explain how sports betting works, because that's what he's been doing for the last three years or so. Welcome, Patrick. Great to see you. Great to hear you. Um, you want to give me the 10-second the explanation of what Action Network is and what Better Collective is? Because that's who you sold to last year for $240 million. That's right. Yeah. Action Network is a media company. Uh, we create content for sports bettors of all kinds, whether you're very sophisticated, unsophisticated, or new to betting. Uh, we have subscription programs for some of those users, again, depending on your sophistication and your need to understand what you're doing. And then from a revenue perspective, beyond subscriptions, the big part of our business and the one why Better Collective purchased us is we are one of the largest affiliate conversion platforms for sports betting companies in the US. So we offer unique offers and different things through email and through our alerts and through our app where you're able to download a sports book, get an offer, and we get paid every time we convert a user through our platform to a box. So you guys are not a sports book. You're not taking my bet. You're directing me to the MGMs and, and other casinos and sports books of the world. That's exactly right. We don't take bets. We don't ever want to get in the sort of betting business in that way. We just want to be a, you know, you hear this a lot, but the picks and shovels for the sports books, um, give them the data, content, and users. So sports betting has been legal in the U.S. since 2018. The states, individual states are approving it state by state basis. New Jersey was first. And I'm doing that thing I used to hate when I was in Minnesota and there'd be a snowstorm in New York and all the national news would cover snow in New York like it was some big deal um, because sports betting went live in New York this month. Um, I think it took a bunch of folks by surprise. They're no longer surprised because if anyone ever has watched a game, um, looked at something online involving sports, they're 
their Twitter feeds, their social feeds, their browsers, and their regular TV ads are filled with sports betting ads. And so I think um, for a lot of t- for a lot of people in the media, they're finally waking up to the fact that oh, this is a real thing and it's happening now. So I wanted you to walk me through how this works. So here's the first most obvious question that everyone has, which is. Am I going to be just inundated with sports betting ads for the rest of my life, or is this a temporary blip as you guys, as your partners try to acquire customers? Well, I wouldn't say it's going to be for the rest of your life. What you see is sort of massive infusion of investment when a state goes mobile legal. Uh, and when a state is mobile, that's when you start to see the in New York, the Caesars and the DraftKings and FanDuel's, et cetera, that you see a lot in television. NFL has a mandate that you can only show six of those ads during a game. I think my, many of us, I would agree with that's probably more. Um, but you know, for us, we're really about the digital frontier. We want to acquire a user through mobile, through you know, a user that's betting on their phone. That's the most convenient and the best way to bet. And that's how our business gets bigger. And that's how the ultimate pie continues to grow is when you're able to do a digital conversion and have what is the best experience, which is betting on your phone. So a lot of these ads are offering me $300 in free bets or $1,000 in match and win automatically. And there's lots of caveats and turns out they're not actually giving you money off and they're giving you sort of credit to bet. But um, it suggests, however they're giving this money away, that, 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 that signing me up as a customer is worth hundreds of dollars to the sports books or intermediaries like yourself. So I'm hoping you could just explain how the sports betting business works. When I bet 10 bucks, uh, I made, I won all my sports bets two weekends ago. I lost them all this weekend. When I, when I bet, um, when I make money betting, um, let's say on Cincinnati two weeks ago when they win, um, and I do it with say FanDuel. These are real life bets that I made. How does FanDuel make money from my ten dollar bet, which returns eight dollars and fifty cents or whatever it was? Well, well, they're hopefully going to make money over time. Uh, you know, let's face it, sports betting is about entertainment, and I'm not just saying that to say it. I mean, if you're really good at it, and I mean really good, you're good fifty and a quarter percent of the time. So, you know, it's really more of an entertainment endeavor. So for FanDuel in that example, they're going to make more money from you on sort of an LTV basis over a lifetime value. And they ascribe a value to you as a lifetime value based on the cost it is to acquire you, which is typically anywhere from $250 to $500 and sometimes even more if you're acquiring a user for casino. So the casino and slots and things like that, online poker, those users are more valuable in the sense that they cost more to acquire, but it's not too dissimilar from a credit card. A credit card company knows it costs a certain amount of money to acquire you, and hopefully they're going to have you for life. And that's where their LTV model comes in in that basis. Right. So I, I and I and I, I get that over time, even the best betters are going to lose most of the time. Um, but I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, because we're going to talk about uh, different terms, like uh, uh, there's a handle, which is I think just rev- gross revenue for you guys. So uh, first week of of legal sports betting in New York, six hundred million dollars was bet in New York. Um, but the, the casinos aren't keep the sports books aren't, are only keeping a small sliver of that. Right. I just want to sort of understand how that works. Yeah, the, the margins for a sports book are in the single digits. Right. So you obviously have to do mass volume of betting for you to become profitable as a book. And, you know, looking at the books out there today, DraftKings is still working towards profitability, as is Flutter. Uh, you know, you look at the public analogs, you have Penn National. It's been a challenging market on the public basis. But for those individual books, they discreetly generate revenue in the single digits of, of, of margin. And is, is the hope that over 
like you said, over time, they're just you're going to sort of nickel and dime me into profitability on their end. Or is the hope that they're going to move me into stuff where they make better margin or sell me other products or both? A, a little bit of both. They definitely want you to take your budget that you've done for betting on that that Bengals game and into, can I get this player to play casino? Can I get them to do some of the other things that are in the, the funnel of consumer experience that I have inside of my book? The other thing that they often do as you continue to bet is uh, deposit match offers and redepositing, and they want you to continue to bet with frequency. Um, and that's really ultimately how they make money. And it's so early in the category that the acquisition of these users today is so critically important that uh, like in many categories, they feel that they're going to generate the profits down the line as these markets grow. And we see Florida, California, these large markets that are inevitably going to come, but it's hard to predict when they will. So I've been asking you and other folks in sports betting for a while as this stuff comes online, who's your audience when you initially are going out here? Are you trying to get novices, someone who maybe bet once a year in a Super Bowl pool or something? Are you trying to find people who were betting illegally and bringing them into the legal market? And I think for a long time, you guys said, we're we're going to bring in the existing bettors. We're not going to try to convert new bettors. Um, is that still the case? Is that still the market? I mean, our business and their business becomes much larger when we're going to get the novice or the net new better to come to the category. You know, everyone talks about these mythical whales and may have this presumption that that's where all the money is. It's not nearly t the case. It's really that that mediumly sophisticated better, to your point, that might bet on the Super Bowl or might bet on the NCAA basketball tournament or do some individual betting with their friends. You know, that same user, I hopefully want to be able to have Action Network provide a source of tools and data and the ability to track your picks and lots of different things that make it a better experience and more fun. So we partner with the books to do things like that. We, we just want to offer users, you know, in a sense, to help them make decisions when they bet, we're never going to guarantee it. You know, we're not out here selling picks like a lot of people do in these sort of black markets. That's not our business. So it's interesting. I mean, one of the reasons I, I, did, I did a little bit of sports betting when New Jersey came online a couple of years ago and didn't really scratch any itches for me. And I've been trying it out again in New York. It strikes me that when you get onto the apps, they still assume that you have a reasonable amount of information about how betting works. They will explain to you how a spread works and what a money line bet is. But all the ads are, and even internally are for parlays. You'd have to know what a parlay is. If you start reading the fine print, it's talking about legs of a parlay. And it seems to me that unless you know what you're doing going into this, you're going to be faced with a, a bunch of different come-ons and not really have any idea what you're doing. Is the, is the hope that, is the hope that this stuff gets easier for novices over time and, and, and you guys sort of dumb it down to make it easier for me to bet? Or do you want me to have to learn how this works so I become a sophisticated better? I would like everybody to become a sophisticated better. Um, it gives them more comfort when they bet. That it's a little more thoughtful of an experience. Uh, I definitely that's that's sort of our goal. We we certainly want people to be more seasoned. Uh, I'm not sure if the books would would concur with that. Um, I hope they would. They're great partners of ours, and we want people to bet thoughtfully, responsibly. It's a big part of why we have licenses, as I mentioned. For us to be able to work with books, we actually have to be licensed in the particular states where those books are doing business for us to generate that CPA and for us to generate LTV. 
So even though you're not running a sports book, you individually have to be licensed by all of these different gaming authorities. State yes. State. And when I say individually, you're exactly right. Me individually as an executive at the company uh, and director, you have to go through uh, a pretty laborious licensing kind of experience. And that's why ultimately a lot of media companies have been reticent to get into this because if you own anywhere greater than 5% of a particular entity in the category, you have to have pretty ambitious disclosures. So that's what Brian Roberts would have to do at, at, at Comcast. And that's what uh, Bob Chapek would have to do at you Disney. You mean personally? Like, personally. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of that's a little bit uh, arcane, but but literally personally, like tax returns over you know the past half dozen years and finances. And, and it's a pretty invasive experience around it. They're certainly trying to eliminate bad actors from a legacy of, of betting, but that's part of the experience why I think a lot of media companies haven't invested what is unequivocally going to be a massive market. Yeah. So let's, well, we'll talk about media companies in a second, but, but the, the idea of, of the bad actors and the sort of the patina around sports gambling growing up. Um, and I'm roughly the same age as you betting itself was, was considered sort of, I mean, it was a sin, right? I mean, um, and considered kind of gross and, and real people didn't do it. And maybe you did it for, you know, in the same way you might sneak a cigarette in the back of the high school, but it wasn't something regular people did. Obviously it's become more and more mainstreamed over the years. It also strikes me that at least in the last couple of years, um, a betting, a, a, a comfortable, uh, a level of comfort with gambling and making bets in general has sort of permeated society. I'm thinking of Robin Hood and GameStop and all of that. Do you see that all sync together or are they distinct? Are the people who are betting on on Tesla, you know, via Robinhood, are they some of the same people who are betting on, on, on NFL games? Is there a crossover there? There is. I mean, when I look at that Venn diagram, it's pretty dispersed and broad. You could, you know, I joked with friends years ago and, and we should start a vice fund and that vice fund could be crypto, it could be uh, cannabis and it could be sports betting, um, all of which have entered a degree of legality across many, many states at tremendous scale across the US. So I do think that Venn diagram of the meme stock investor, the crypto enthusiast, and the sports better does come together. Is it the cleanest, you know, singular Venn diagram overlap? Not necessarily, but there's a ton of similarities for various reasons. So we're taping this on Monday, January 24th. Crypto markets are down, stock markets down. Maybe we're entering a phase where you don't, stocks don't always go up. Um, if that happens, does that seep into um, your, your customers' willingness to make bets as well? Or, or does that separate at some point? I think it does. I mean, when I first got into this business, I wasn't a big better myself. I'm a huge sports enthusiast and and do dabble in betting. But what I was always told as I sort of entered this and the more I've learned is it's one of the more recession-proof businesses there is a sports betting. Uh, and, and part of that might be some of the murkiness around the category. But, you know, there's a game every weekend. There's a game every night. And, you know, you have to bet responsibly, as we talked about. But, you know, this this past weekend was was it was an indicator of just the enthusiasm. I mean, it was the best NFL uh, playoff weekend in the history of the sport. Uh, and those same users have a vested interest as a better more than they would if they wouldn't if they were not. So I see that only continuing. And, you know, we're in the we're in the height of the season. You know, the NFL is the most bet sport by a decent margin. Um, yeah. And, and by the way, it was the best NFL weekend of playoffs that I've ever seen. Um, and I don't think the betting made it more or less 
uh, appealing to me as a fan. But I know the theory is that maybe I will get invested in games that I don't care that much about or maybe even aren't that good. Uh, we could talk about that in a minute. But let's talk about who benefits beyond me winning or losing and, and your companies winning or losing. What, what does the ecosystem look like? How are media companies taking advantage of this stuff? Um, is there anyone else that I'm not thinking of who benefits from from a sports betting boom? Well, the, the people that are going to benefit the most thus far are the team owners and the leagues. So the leagues which have seen enterprise value, or well, this is more for the owners too, the value of franchises has increased dramatically. And you know, as someone who covers media, you know all too well the reason for the most part that that's increased is because of media rights fees uh, and, and seeing the billions and literal billions of dollars that are being paid by media owners because you, know, you look at all the data, 75 of the top 100 shows this past year were NFL football. So there's been a value that's accrued to the owners of these teams based on media rights. And we keep waiting for those media rights to go down, but they don't. No, they don't. And viewership goes down, but those rights don't go down. But there's this other new pool of capital that's made available to those rights owners and league and uh, team owners, and that's sports betting dollars. So I was I found it funny when the, the NFL signed a bunch of deals and they have their official sponsors and they have others. So they're able to get real fees from these sports betting uh, uh, operators that are willing to pay them to have the official rights and to have uh, highlights and to be able to use uh, their images and likenesses. And the other big category is all the individual teams are now able to see revenue. So if you're in a in a state like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Virginia, Tennessee, where there's online betting, you can generate real additional sums of money even beyond the value of your franchise. Because Casino X is the official is the official uh, uh, sports book of the Giants or whatever. That's right. Points Bet is the official book of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, you know they have in venue opportunities. They have rights issue. You know they have the ability to market in unique ways in those markets. Um, so that's just additional value that all the leagues are seeing as a big opportunity as well. I know um, the NBA and I assume the other leagues have said we also want a cut of of the bet. Um, and 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 a lot of resistance to that. Has that gone forward? Is the NBA not, profiting directly when, when I when, are they taking a skim from that? No, not not yet. Uh, they're just getting really kind of an umbrella fee per year for access to rights and you know league marks and things like that. The ability to advertise and on on league content, but in terms of you know accruing a fee based on on you know that, not necessarily. I mean, they can get in the business if they want to be licensed, like mine is, to be able to get. Uh, a fee for every player that they generate and mm-hmm. plus LTV for that user, how they bet over time in perpetuity. We've got another guest on the show, Richard Johnson, who writes for SI. And we talk about sort of the experience of watching this stuff as a fan. Right now, it looks like I think both the leagues want it, the networks want it. The, the betting really hasn't entered the broad the game broadcast itself. They don't really refer to, you know, over-unders and, and, and spreads and stuff during a game. Um do you think that stays the case in permanently or does it eventually they, that wall breaks down as well? Yeah, I, th- I think you will see more. I mean, there are certain leagues that are not of the scale and, and power of the NFL. As an example, the NFL is on a pinnacle up here and everybody else is mm-hmm. in a different place. PGA Tour today, one of the most forward thinking of the rights holders actually includes um, you know, over and under, and they include odds in the experience on the broadcast, not to the degree that some sports bettors who are deep in it would want to see. So we actually worked with the NBA 
and the PGA Tour uh, and did what we called a bet cast where you're able to have this sort of alternative experience where maybe just like the Manning brothers are on on Sunday Night Football or Monday Night Football rather to be able to have an alternative bet cast experience. The, that's the shoulder content, right? The, yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's not as... Um, maybe prevalent today, clearly, because we're just not in as many states. But I think that's going to be an experience where people are going to find it in- inauthentic if it's not referenced when you're at the end of a game and, you know, you got the the Raiders plus six and, the, you know, the scores, whatever it is. I mean, I think there's a lot of users that are watching that for one reason. Is it critical mass? No. So, but I think you're going to see these alternative betcasts continue and start to bleed more into the traditional broadcast experience. Right. And I get that one thing holding it back right now is that, you know, if you're doing a national broadcast and you're in California, why do you what? It's pointless for you to hear about this stuff. Um, I'm wondering how much of it once once those barriers break down, is there still like an aesthetic or sort of moral or um, just an ick factor? Like, I don't really want to get this into. If you want to bet on sports, that's fine. Just keep it out of the main broadcast mike for the same reason i don't feel great having my kids uh, ask me what a viagra pill is um i'd rather not have sports betting come on through in a game or do you think it just becomes part of the culture i think it becomes part of the culture in a more ingrained way than it has and, and again legality is part of it but i do think there, there certainly are going to be sort of more old school folks are just like I, I just don't want this part of my experience but remember there's an entire uh uh culture of sports fans that are invested sports fans they've been playing fantasy Mm -hmm. for the past 10 15 years maybe they play for a little modest amount of money maybe it grows every year but those users that are playing fantasy and doing dfs are now conditioned into this opportunity daily fantasy sports yeah exactly yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if, if there's not sort of a politics parallel where you end up saying, actually, even though sports bettors are a minority of our audience, they're the they're the most engaged, they're the most likely to watch a game, we actually should tilt our programming more towards these sort of more hardcore, more engaged bettors. Um, and the more casual viewer comes or goes, and we should we should actually orient our broadcast more towards that. It, it certainly is possible. I mean, I look at, you know, as an example, the Michael Rubin and Fanatics getting invested in sports betting. We'll see how they enter certain markets. But this notion that, you know, because I'm going to buy a Jason Kelsey jersey because I'm an Eagles fan and I'm watching a game, is there some way to convert that person to a better? I mean, I think there's going to just be a greater incidence of this being, I won't even use the word normal because betting is a pretty normal behavior and has been for millennia. Uh, but legality and access and mobile are just making it more fun and to be able to do it with friends and and hopefully go to games more and be able to do that experience. And live betting, which is huge in Europe, is becoming more emergent here in the US as well. Betting during the game. Is this guy going to yep. make the field goal or not? Bet right now. Yeah. And and obviously you need 5G and you need better experiences in venue, but but to even just bet on outcomes, final game outcomes after a game has started, like, you know, that's 60, 70 percent of betting in Europe, uh, not quite here in the U.S., but it's growing. Um, which leads me to another question I've been asking you and other folks in sports betting, which is this is enabled through your phone. Um, that means Apple and Google ultimately control sort of how that experience works. Um, one of the reasons I've been playing around with sports betting, I wanted to see what the alerts look like and what the push notifications look like. And it's kind of what I thought, which is once you sign up for FanDuel or MGM, they're, they're hammering you all the time. Um, they'll, they'll hammer you during the game. We are already concerned that phones 
have addictive properties that we haven't really considered or didn't consider 10 years ago. We know that sports betting and betting in general can have addictive properties. Do you imagine that the phone companies, that, that the Apples and Googles of the world, that Apple and Google are going to say, hey, actually, we got we to gotta slow this down. We can't have you. If you want to do this and it's legal, that's fine, but we can't have you guys hitting up our, our users um, with alerts or there's going to be some sort of limits there. I mean, there could be. I mean, we, we haven't seen it yet. We, we have a great alerts product that's around, you know, games getting closer. You're, you know, one thing you can do in our platform is you can track your bets and you're able to see if you're going to, if what the win probability is something we're patenting where you can actually see the probability that your bet's going to clear for you. And people love to get those, but I can see your point. I mean, there, there is a absolute, um, you know, I want to say surfeit and use a big word, but there's just way too many ads for sports books right now. And that's not necessarily the best user experience. It's not a great user experience on your phone. It's not a great user experience for television. And we know that that's going to change over time. But I think sometimes we over index when it just launches. New York's yeah. now two weeks old. So I mean, we I saw we saw this a couple years ago, right? When Daily Fantasy started and FanDuel mm-hmm. and DraftKings were having a a, a a battle for for my mind and my my dollars, um, and it made t- it, it felt like it made the NFL unwatchable periodically, and it's and and both companies realized they'd overspent and pulled back, right? Um, but it seemed like the networks also had sort of re- and and the NFL had realized this is actually a lousy experience. Um, do you think they'll eventually clamp down, or they just don't want to? They don't want to turn away money right now, and they'll keep taking the ads. A, a little bit of both. They already are. I mean, I, I, they they are trying to meter the number of ads that are going to be during one game broadcast. Um, but at the same time, this infusion of capital in sports has nothing's been seen like it in since we can since the dawn of the internet honestly and that might sound hyperbolic but you know the internet comes and does that add more to rights fees should it should it be seen as cannibalistic or do we embrace it you know we've talked about this for a couple decades you and i but the, the reality is the numbers of dollars and the opportunity and the unequivocal tam the size of this market when we get california and texas and florida and these massive you know new york's the fourth most populous state in the u.s but um and you know and as a lot of sports fans and one thing that really surprised me about the new york launch uh and we work with a company called geocomply that is able to fence exactly where you are at a location so you can only bet in new jersey and in new york versus you know going to delaware or something and over 83% of bettors in New York did not have New Jersey accounts, which surprised me. The behavior of, you know, going across the bridge or going on the mm-hmm. path to, to Hoboken, I thought was going to be a higher incidence of New Yorkers. It wasn't. So it really presents itself as a truly fertile ground for conversion, even though you have Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and New York all so close together. Um, and this this is regulated. Uh, there's a limited number of people who could come in. Um, you, men- you mentioned Penn National. That's better known as the home of Dave Portnoy um, uh, and Barstool Sports. Those guys did not get a license. Does, do, are they shut out of the New York market forever? Or do they reopen that at some point? Not for forever. They, they certainly would want to come into the market. Um, you know, it was surprising to me that they didn't try and acquire customers through other channels when they when you, they they look at the the sort of New York opportunity. But the other thing about New York is uh, the taxes are pretty profound, and a lot of people who are acquiring customers, it's got that cost has got to come from somewhere. And with New York having greater than fifty one percent taxation against sports betting, that's much higher than Pennsylvania, which people thought was really high, which was in the thirties. So uh, I think there's some feeling that over time the tax rates will come down and some of the books will be more ambitious to enter the market. 
So one of the reasons you, uh, one of the arguments against legalizing sports betting is it could taint the game. There's a lot of money involved. You could take the players or referees or someone could, could throw games. There are famous historic examples of that, right? The Black Sox, City College and basketball in the 50s. Um, but the same token, if you're going to have a legalized sports betting boom and there's a ton of money available, shouldn't the athletes be able to participate in that in some way? Or are they going to be kept well away from it for a very long time for all the reasons I just said? Well, some of them do. Um, you don't see too many of them who are active players. But, you know, you look at Drew Brees and the Manning family who are Caesars sponsors and Shaq right. was with Wynn. Once you're out of the game, you can, yeah. you can partake. But, but. Right. But you know, shouldn't shouldn't an individual should an in, will an individual player be able to make money directly, or that's just going to get built into the sort of their total comp? I think it's going to get built into higher rights fees, higher franchise values based on betting being part of the calculus, and just paying those 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 folks in that way. Because having an active player uh, associated with betting for all the reasons you alluded to, even though they're so incredibly rare. Uh, is is enough liability concern that they 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 want to maintain? I can't even believe I'm about to say it. Church and state, um, but some other version of whatever that is. Yeah, and this I mean it it's a it's it is a current thing, right? There's a tennis scandal not very long ago. Right now, apparently, there's they're looking into one of the English Premier League teams. There's a betting maybe a betting scandal there. It just seems inevitable that that it's easy enough, especially once you get to these really obscure bets. For mm-hmm. one player, for one referee to do one thing or not do a thing and and make money at some point. Um, well, I, I, I remember when the in the height of the pandemic, when we were you know trying to survive as a company. Frankly, it's hard to have a sports betting business when no sports is happening. And what was left? Russian table tennis and you know uh, uh, you know, darts in in far locales. Yeah, uh, those are quite easy to fix. <laughs> the the um, you know the the people Snooker who snooker in the Kazakhstan. Exactly. The people who set the odds, these odds makers, are brilliant at what they do. Um, and they're so tight. They're obviously trying to create, you know, equal investment on both sides. Um, and it's really hard to sort of change outcomes. Um, but at the same time, I think it's it's a concern that always has to be in the in the back of the minds of regulators and technology companies that try to help this from happening. So we're in this land grab. It's in New York now. Texas and California are the two biggest markets yet to legalize. In Florida. Florida. And then what's the timetable for those, do you think? It's really hard to predict. Um, And, you know, New York, we had always hoped it was going to be before the Super Bowl. And then we hoped it was going to be at the end of this year before the playoffs started. And then all of a sudden you you hear on a Friday that the four books are going live. So California, you know, there's a referendum that maybe have a vote towards the end of this year. Massachusetts, I would have thought would have happened a little earlier. Louisiana is a state that should be mobile legal shortly. And again, those are the ones we care about. We care about, we have an acronym and action called SWOBA, states where online betting is available. It just got a little too annoying to have to say that every time. Uh, Because, you know, gambling on sports is legal in lots of places, but if you can't do it mobily, then we don't make money and it's hard to to create the right user experience. So those states becoming mobile are going to be a big deal, but it could be two to three years for any one of them. Okay. So two to three years-ish, it's basically legal throughout the U.S. is your guesstimate? I hope so. It should when you get those states that'll be the case and the politics of it can be really strange sometimes. The most liberal of states sometimes make it more difficult like mm-hmm. Massachusetts, um California, you know, these are these are as blue as they come. Obviously they have, you know, red contingencies in in certain areas, but it it, it there's there's almost no rhyme or reason 
politically while where some states go legal and others don't. Some obviously are worried about the tax windfall, which was a huge one, um, and why New York moved a little more quickly. But it's it's there's really no rhyme or reason to say when state is going to go mobile or not and when. What's the what's uh, you are allowed to bet legally? What's 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 the bet you feel most optimistic about today, January twenty fourth? What do you what are you really hoping comes in? Uh, well, you know, as we mentioned, watching those games, it, Patrick Mahomes seems unstoppable. Um, and I'll be curious to see what those lines are for the, for the next game, but he's definitely turned something on that was unique. Uh, you know, I think he ran for 400 yards during the season, but the fourth quarter of that game, there was a certain level of speed and precision. I mean, it's one of the best performance by an athlete I've seen in my entire life. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan and I, I, I see them getting another Super Bowl title. Uh, as a Vikings fan, I felt weird betting on Aaron Rodgers last weekend, and I got my comeuppance. So, I think I'm done betting for the. For, although it's it's yeah, I will say it. It is now that I've got it on my phone, and instead of looking down at Twitter or a text message, I could also look down at FanDuel and see if I could throw ten dollars into the fourth quarter. I may have to take it off my phone. I could I could definitely see myself going down a bad path. But maybe other people will be more responsible than me. Yeah, we hope it's a fun, responsible use case and just makes the game more fun. Um, well said. Patrick Keene, thank you. Nice to have you. Thank you. Thanks a lot to Patrick. We're going to hear from Richard Johnson in a second. But first, a word from a sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In the old days, back when there were offices, I would see Richard Johnson when I went to the Vox Media headquarters in New York because he covered college football for SB Nation. Now he covers college football for Sports Illustrated, so I'm talking to him on the internet. Welcome, Richard. It's good to be. It's good to be. I guess back on the Vox Media airwaves. I guess that's that's how we'll say it. You're always part of the family. Welcome back. I am having you on because I wanted to talk about sports and gambling and and how it works for you in your life. You watch a lot of sports for fun and because it's your job because you cover college football. I think you bet on sports periodically. Quite a bit. All right, there you go. And then you also write about it. So I want to know how the fact that it's been legal in various states in the U.S. starting in 2018, now legal in New York uh, as of a couple weeks ago, uh, has changed all that for you. Let's let's start with when you're watching a game. Um, I'm a pretty casual sports fan, so I dip in and out. I haven't noticed, and I've been waiting for sort of like people to start talking about teasers and and point spreads etc in the broadcast themselves even though a lot of the leagues and broadcasters had told me in advance that wasn't going to happen i don't see it happening it, it, am, am, am i missing something has the has the experience of watching the regular game itself changed at all no i i think where you're seeing it and where you're always gonna see it more than during the regular game telecast is going to be on the commercials um you know i, I we both live in new york city um, so, you know, you can't watch a sporting event without, without the commercial break being 
PointsBet, BetMGM, Caesar Sportsbook, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, those are those are here, not even coming. They're here. And that, that that switch just turned on like a week ago, right? Yes. Like whatever that weekend was, yeah. And so those commercials are going to be more and more insipid. It, it sort of goes back to, it's funny, a few years ago, four or five years ago, when DraftKings and FanDuel first started as literal companies, but they were just daily fantasy at the time, their commercials were like, every single commercial break especially for nfl games and it got to the point where both of them had to like pair back on the commercials because consumers were just it was really annoying it was really annoying to watch sports because you were seeing their commercials every single time they cut to break now that is going to continually happen i think broadcasters are terrified of alienating the uh the casual viewer they have always been terrified of alienating the casual viewer whether it's putting a score bug on the screen because they thought that the viewer would just turn off because they knew the score whether it goes back to when john madden was first calling games they wouldn't let him do actual football you know scheme stuff uh when he first started out because they said well that's going to be too high level for the viewer the viewer is going to turn the tv off so so sports rights broadcasters have always been terrified of alienating the viewer alienating their customer what i think i i think you're gonna see it one day, I'm not sure if you'll see it on like the NFL, but I think you'll see it on maybe like a PGA Tour or like WNBA or like one of the sports that is really trying to gin up uh, uh, an audience and 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 gain more of a foothold than they have maybe an MLS. Is I think you may start to see like live game pop ups, things that pop up on the bottom line that say, "Hey, you know, if you think." Uh, if you think the, the storm can score, you know, 50 points and hit an over in the second half, like go on there and bet now. And that'll be a league aligning with a specific gambling partner to pull that off. But that's going to be a technological leap right now that we don't have because right now we still have the latency of you watching on streaming is you know, 45 seconds to a minute and a half behind what's happening in the real game. Yeah, for context, the, the live in-game betting um, is what you're talking about, yes, um, yeah. which theoretically exists here, but it's still, I think, pretty much at the margins. That's the standard experience in a lot of other countries. Yeah, uh, and that's... In the UK, if you're watching that's soccer, that's standard. You th- yeah, so that, you think that's coming? Yeah, and, that's and, our future. And it, does that... Are you excited about that? Is that to me? I'm a little bummed out about it. I even if it's the wave of the future, I'm like, ah, this, my gambling doesn't have to be in my sports, right? I should be able to toggle it on or off. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, I'm not the best person to wage that argument because I no, am, you you are. Like I like I gamble I gamble a lot. I mean, I like I put five picks in for the NFL games like an hour ago before we came on this podcast. Um, you know, I'm. I'm not going to admit to gambling when it was not legal in the state of New York. So let's just say my first gambling uh, instance was six days ago when the, when the you gamble a lot, but it's a brand new experience for you up until, up until a couple weeks. Did you ever go to New Jersey to play some bets? Yes. When it first came live, it's funny. So when it first came live, I did do that. I went over the GW 
and uh, and put a couple picks in on, I, I think it was like an NFL game or something, with the DraftKings account for the novelty of it. And, you know, if I'm passing through, you know, on the train or whatever, I still have the app on my phone. But uh, I actually, when I went to, like, boot my DraftKings account back up when they turned it live in New York, I actually got an inactivity notice because I, you know, I don't live in New Jersey, so I don't, especially during the you pandemic, I'm not, you know, I'm not you even hadn't gambled really enough. I, I found that I, I turned on my FanDuel account, which I turned on in New Jersey a couple of years ago when it legalized there, and it, 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 they were happy to take my money immediately. They had no problems. Yeah, I, I think the like, I think the thing to, to understand is that this is not like a seedy underbelly type thing anymore. Like, legitimately, some of the best customer service. I encounter is with gambling operators and gambling apps. They need you. They want your money. And to be frank, like there was a couple years ago, uh, the one of the the biggest prop bets around the Super Bowl is how long the national anthem will be take will take to be sung. And there was a snafu with how many times the singer sung the word "brave" at the end. You know, the end of the national anthem. And so for some places it cashed and some places it didn't because of the over under time. And there was one book, I can't remember which one, but there was one book that paid out both ways, paid out both the over and the under. Why did they do that? So that everybody would stay happy and bet more. Like they, they need your business. They want your business. And, and that is what I think people don't understand. Like they, like the customer is really, really always right in this new sort of gambling reality. This isn't your bookie, um, you know, coming to break your kneecaps in, in, in three months if you're behind. No, they're just taking your money. Um, so back to back to watching the game. Um, there was used to be a little bit of a nudge and a wink on a rare occasion if, if something crazy happened that screwed up the spread in a game and maybe Al Michaels or something would like almost comment on it but not really comment on it if that happens now and you know i'm gonna get all the team names wrong anyway a team is expected to beat somebody by three points and instead they only beat them by two because something fluky happens at the end or whatever it is are the announcers going to reference that directly in a game now or are they still not bringing it on screen no some of them will some of them won't i I think it's just if you're comfortable with the material you know it's some of it's not forced um, but yeah, a lot of like, I, I have heard it a lot more on announce announcers saying it when there's a crazy ending or when something like that happens. I really think a lot of the, um, of the credit for that actually goes to Scott Van Pelt, uh, of ESPN Scott, uh, w- when he got his own sports center, it's the 11 o'clock sports center. He got his own sports center. He launched a, uh, a segment that runs called bad beats and they showcase, you know, some of the worst beats and far-flung college basketball games, Northern Colorado, mm-hmm. and, like, legitimately, like, it's some of the best sports television every single week. Like, I will stay up after Monday Night Football to watch Bad Beats. It's absolutely hilarious. And, you know, I know that when he started the segment, when he brought the idea to ESPN, ESPN was a little worried. They were a little worried about the gambling and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he has really helped to make it mainstream in in the sports watcher and the sports viewer and sports television vernacular, um, you know, College Game Day has also done a little bit uh, on the college uh, college football side. They put the spreads on the bottom um, when they like go to pit games or whatever. So increasingly, it's becoming part of the common you know speak of the sports journalist and the sports fan. If you're into it and if you could talk the talk, I think for me as someone 
as someone who does a little bit of gambling writing, but as someone who does a lot of a lot of college football writing in general, gambling is really a thing to put in my toolkit that becomes very interesting. Like, uh, there's sort of two ways you can go about writing about gambling. You could sort of write about the social aspect of, you know, people's bad picks or people's funny picks or people's crazy parlays, or you can be like a quant and you can have your own numbers and you can, you know, have your own systems. Um, I sort of dabble in both, but what it really helps me to do is sort of speak the language, especially in college football as a very big sport. Um, it, it helps me sort of speak the language of, you know, using spreads and using projections, gambling projections to give predictions and, and, and sort of mm -hmm. set the table about what a game is going to be. And, and so you're able to talk that language a little bit and you're able to be conversational with readers and, and people on Twitter and stuff like that. Because look, are most people sharks? No, like most people are throwing in 50 bucks at the bar and maybe they went a hundred back. Do you, have you done the thing where you have, Bet on games you have no interest in just because of the there's a prop that's interesting to you and you're not going to watch the game. You just are placing the bet because you want to place the bet or the version where you're watching a game. You haven't placed a bet. You think, oh, this would be more interesting if I had 50 bucks on it. Have you done either of those? Oh, definitely the latter. Definitely the latter. I like what the rights, what every TV rights holder knows is that if you're betting on the game, you have interest in the game and you are watching the game. Mm -hmm. um, I don't often throw on something I'm not watching. Um, I, if I throw on it, I will then put it on TV or I'll bring it up on my phone. I will pay attention to it. Um, I will more often be watching something that I don't have action on and then it goes a certain way. Like with live betting... Like, if I'm watching college football and a team goes up by 28 points on, like, an interception and, like, a kick return, like, those are sort of, like, flukier occurrences. And so that's something where you go on the live line and you'll see, okay, well, you know, their opponent is a live underdog of, like, 20 points. And, you know, if I think that, that, that the final score in three and a half quarters will end up being closer, obviously, and, and cover that spread, then I'll fire on it. That's one thing. You know, if a player's really hot, if a player comes out and, you know, scores 20 points in a basketball game in the first quarter, well, it's probably not going to keep that pace up to score 80 over the next three quarters. And so you fire live on whatever the under of his live live point total is so stuff like that that i pick out and choose when i'm watching a sport that i don't already have action on for people who aren't betting on sports is this but do maybe tweet while they're watching a game is this i mean are, are they roughly equivalent like i'm just doing something else in addition to watching the game that makes it more interesting for me yeah it's a second screen experience like it it, it really is and like i like i said most people the vast majority of people are not sharks the vast, even myself included, the vast majority of people are not trying to maximize their EV and all that sort of stuff. Like most people aren't, myself included, are not smart enough, are not numbers intensive enough to care or whatever. But yeah, man, if I'm sitting around, like let's throw 50 bucks on it and have some fun. 
let's it turn legalized sports gambling turned on in New York this month, as we said, and and like we said, you've never bet uh, on sports illegally in New York. Uh, if there was someone named Richard Johnson the second who used to bet on sports not legally from New York, and and now he had access to to doing it legally, how would that experience have changed um, in the last couple of weeks? Would would this theoretically person be spending more money, or it's the same way he was spending before, just different sources? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, theoretically, I think that person would be spending a little bit more money. Um, and, and, you know, it's, we'll see if that person will continue to do that. That person typically only really bets on football. And obviously, college football is over and the NFL has is much more pared down because we're just in the playoffs now. So I think, you know, hypothetically, that person is probably going to be betting less money in general between now and September. Um, but the apps, I, I, you know, hypothetically, if that person was using a website, it's, it's a little bit more to sort of click through and go to one of those websites, uh, and, and bet that way versus it's the app sitting on my home screen now. Um, now DraftKings is on my home screen. Yeah. Uh, And so that's a little bit quicker to boot up. I've been amazed looking at the apps at like the stuff you can bet on, stuff you didn't know existed. I mean, uh, the FanDuel one I look has pretty mainstream sports only, but I've, the other ones I looked at, you can bet on table tennis matches in the Ukraine or wherever. Have you ever taken a flyer on, on totally random stuff like that? Or are you doing stuff that where you, you understand the sport, you could tell me what the rules are, you could tell me who the teams are and the players are? No, during the pandemic, Korean baseball was pretty big. <laughs> Korean baseball was like literally the only sport on for like a month and a half in, in America. Um, and so that was big. Um, yeah, you know, I'll throw in on, a, you know, the horse racing during the Triple Crown or whatever. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I imagine the Winter Olympics are going to be pretty big in a, in a month or so time. I don't know how that's uh-huh. going to work, but I imagine the Winter Olympics are going to have some juice on them uh, this year. Talk to me about your job. You do do a sports gambling article now, and then Sports Illustrated has a partnership with a sports book called 888. So you guys have your own sports book. So I'm this other company. You link to the stuff in your copy. Do you do you have any pressure to generate a certain number of affiliate links in your stories? Do you have to get a certain number of people to click on those links? Or are you just typing up whatever you're typing up and it's measured the same way any other content you make? Would be. Yeah, it's it's just like any other content I make. Um, like I think that when you we talk about like odds and spreads and stuff like that, I think they are fun ways to make games more accessible to the regular fan. Like for instance, like uh, UConn was University of Connecticut was one of the worst college football teams in the country this year, and they played Clemson late in the season. And Clemson is is one of the blue blood top five or ten every single year college football programs in the country, even though they did take a step back this year. They have as much talent as anybody, especially the two teams that played on Monday, Alabama and Georgia. Um, So the spread in that game was, I think it was like 47 or something like crazy. And so I wrote a story leading up to that game that was sort of like the, the, you know, both teams against really, really big spreads um and stuff like that that's one of the things that i did uh uh at that point in time so it was a different way to write about that game and do a game preview that was different than clemson is going to crush uconn which they did of course but uconn covered because they returned the open kick 
We're recording this before the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. When you guys hear this, uh, the playoffs will have that round will have happened. What's the bet you're going to be most proud of uh, come come six or seven days from now? Oh, we'll see. Um, if Joe Burrow has more than ten rushing yards uh, in the Bengals game, I'll be very proud of that. Uh, if Jamar Chase has over seventy and a half passing yards, I'll be pretty proud of that as well. I also have a parlay with Hunter Renfro of the Raiders scoring, Jamar Chase scoring, and the Bengals with the first team to five points in that game. So if that parlay hits, I will also be a very happy man. Okay, we will we will assign someone to check on this and we will check back. Richard Johnson from Sports Illustrated, nice to see you. Appreciate it, brother. You too. Thanks again to Richard. Thanks again to Patrick Keene. Thanks again to Travis and Jelani for producing and editing this show. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free. And thank you for listening. This is Recode Media. We'll see you next week.